everyone. It's Alan Schimmel. You're listening to DevOps Chat. And today we are uh, continuing our Conversations with the CEO series. And we're talking with my friend Derek Langone of Zibia Labs. Derek, welcome back to DevOps Chats. Alan, thanks for having me back. Uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you, Derek. So, Derek, for this one, I, I, we had a particular topic we wanted to talk about. And it's, you know, we, we framed it as what's killing your DevOps transformation and hint, it may be you. Um, you know, beyond beyond the uh, the provocative title, though, let's dive into you know what is not that the DevOps transformations are getting killed, Derek, but a, a familiar refrain that I'm hearing at you know when I attend conferences all over the world, and you probably hear from customers is, hey, this this DevOps transformation thing isn't so easy, and they're using the F word. I mean, fail, um, you know, uh, around it. And, you know, it's, it's just it, it's just not going as fast or as well as, as some people may have expected. So, you know, they're not seeing the benefits of it right away. Is DevOps failing? Derek, what do you think? You know, I don't know if failing is the right word, Alan, and I think uh, that's sort of the catastrophic, you know, one in a hundred example where it just fails and you have to kind of like hit the reset button entirely. What we see in most of our clients is sort of an underperformance of expectations, right? And that's that's a couple of, uh, that, there's a couple of components to that. One is, you know, did you set realistic expectations? I mean, if you're a an old stodgy legacy business that releases software once a year and your expectation is, hey, in three months, I want to be releasing software four or five times a day. That's probably unrealistic. No one's going to reach those goals. But what I generally hear from, from our clients is, look, we've had some success in DevOps and pockets of our organization, and that motivates us to want to do more. But once we start to scale this thing up, it doesn't seem to produce any more results despite more effort, more people, more money, and those and those types of investments, right? And and I think that's the the sort of traditional feedback that we hear when we're getting engaged with with our customers. And and just to sort of set the stage, our customers range in size and in scope of business um, quite diversely. Uh, but but generally, we're working with some of the biggest organizations in banking, retail, finance. Um, airlines, uh, you know, and so forth. So uh, generally when we are working with customers, they have big, you know, complex environments, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of applications. So they're just these real, um, you know, high, highly charged um, in, in competitive markets, um, a lot of moving parts to consider. So they are really in the sort of vortex of having to embrace DevOps because they've got to compete with, you know, more nimble, smaller, uh, you know, late to the market entries uh, that are that are causing problems. So I'll, I'll give you like one example. We've got, you know, a bunch of massive banking customers and they're not afraid of each other. They're afraid of Apple Pay and afraid of PayPal and sort of these disruptive technologies. So they're having to invest in DevOps to stay competitive and continue to gain market share and hold on to their customers. But at the same time, once a DevOps initiative tries to scale beyond like an application team or a small part of the business, it just slows down entirely and they just can't make any progress. So does that make sense in terms of the, the satisfaction rate with regard to, to DevOps generally and, and bigger enterprises? Yeah, I, I think it does make a heck of a lot of sense, Derek. But let me just 
Let me turn it around and throw it right back at you. So is it fair to say that the, the, the DevOps isn't failing at these companies, but that their approach to DevOps is just either unrealistic or just not working? I think you're absolutely right. It's the approach that's flawed, right? There's a lot of smart people and good and good, uh, you know, good planning that goes into most of these initiatives. I mean, I don't think I've I've seen a customer yet that just made you know arbitrarily bad choices, right? A lot of planning, a lot of smart folks, um, you know, the right technology in a lot of cases, um, you know, used as a as a new investment, but. The common denominator across most of these companies where they don't see any scalability and they and they perceive DevOps as failing in their organization is because they're doing too many things manually. And when I say manually, I mean they're using engineers, software developers to manually uh, build things, connect things, uh, bring things from development to production. And that means scripting and that means, you know, jobs and Jenkins, things like that, that whole effort of manually trying to do what can be done with technology platforms and automation is really where we see most of these organizations getting stuck. They just can't go faster because they can't hire enough people, write enough code, manage that process because it's frankly unmanageable. Yep. So Derek, though, you use the word scripting and that's such a loaded word. Right. Whether we're talking about ops folks scripting, you know, uh, infrastructure as code kind of thing or, you know, dev scripting or, you know, even look, when we talk about things like chef and puppet and configuration management, a lot of that is, is scripting and scripting leads to automation. We get all that. But in the context you're using it here, we're not necessarily talking about you know, a PHP script or something like that. It, it's it's scripting at a different level. Explain for our audience a little bit. Yeah, what do I mean by scripting? And scripting is like just a, a sort of a an arbitrary word. It can mean a lot of different things. You know, it, it encompasses, in my opinion, you know, the work that you do in, in Jenkins, um, you know, somewhat what you do in Puppet and Chef because they're just, uh, they're script-oriented technologies, but that, but that scripting is very necessary to make those products function as it is to make Jenkins function, right? But what I mean by scripting is basically this plumbing code that gets written by engineers to, to do things like, you know, integrate code together, uh, you know, provide testing, uh, configuration management to deployment, um, you know, th- those types of, of scripting efforts. It's the things that engineers are focusing their time and effort on that have nothing to do with building new software, fixing bugs, and sort of adding value to the organization. That's what I mean by scripting. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. And I, I and I, again, I, you know, I think people need to understand that it, it Scripts can mean a lot of different things, even in, in Broadway plays or something. So, yeah. So, but Derek, if we're going to say that in some organizations, at least, you know, scripting may be the, the, the main culprit uh, in, in organizations, you know, having a difficult time scaling DevOps. What are some of the telltale signs, right, where, where one could say, hey, I think we got a scripting problem here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple of things, right? There's There's things that are that are clearly visible to give you the sense that, hey, we've got a we've got an issue in our DevOps initiative and it's probably related to scripting. I'll get to that in a second. But one of the things I want to just talk about with regard to this manual process is 
when your script, the whole goal of DevOps is is sort of velocity, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of different aspects, and a lot of our customers are interested in sort of a bulletproof process, and they'll and they'll take that at the expense of more speed. They don't want to go any slower, but they don't necessarily need to go faster. But they want something that that works works for everybody and doesn't break. When you're manually creating everything with talented, expensive engineers, um, there's no standardization because every engineer sort of approaches things slightly differently because they're creative. You know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, if you will. And then you really don't get any increase in speed because as soon as you get a a scripted pipeline created it's kind of like you built a house of cards you don't even want to breathe on it because it's so sensitive to any sort of input but assuming you get it running and you actually get a release to go through it from development to production as soon as you get that running the business changes the application needs to change and now guess what you have to do that's right more scripting Mm -hmm. to account for all these new variables and it's just a never ending process you know so um that's something to just to mention that that's really the biggest um contributor to this perception of my devops is failing because i script too much but with regard to your question you know how do we sort of recognize the signs uh that that scripting might be to blame for your dissatisfaction with your devops uh, initiatives the first and most obvious is you're just not meeting your delivery goals right when you start off on this DevOps process, you set some goals like I want to go faster. I want to have a higher level of satisfaction. I want to have, you know, A, B and C um, new benefits associated with this initiative. And you're not seeing them. You're missing you're missing uh, delivery dates. Uh, every change requires you to, to, to do more work script maintenance and, and things like that. So you're not meeting the goals that you set for yourself uh, because everything is done manually. So that's the first telltale sign. Another sign is you're spending a lot of money without a lot of results to show for it. And what I mean is, and I see this everywhere across every industry and just about every one of our clients, using really expensive software developers that are hard to hire, hard to keep, using them as laborers, basically, you know, devaluing what they do uh, every day down to writing plumbing code and sort of connecting things together and and not really leveraging them as an asset for the business. And what what happens in that scenario is organizations are wasting millions of dollars. When we create ROI models to justify our products in big organizations, the, the, the ROI leaps off the page when organizations look at us and say, okay, so I've got you know 300 engineers, 30% of their day I can recapture so I can have them working on higher value activities. That is a massive, massive cost savings for my organization. And, and that's just the reality of doing things manually versus leveraging technology to get things done that are sort of low value and tedious and let the software developers work on the high value, creative, interesting things for themselves. I mean, God knows, Alan, it is hard to hire good software engineers. I'm trying to hire them. My competitors are trying to hire them. Google's trying to hire them. Like, there's just not enough of them to go around. So when you have them, they're precious, and you want them working on the highest value activities that they can possibly work on for two reasons. One, it's good for the business, and then two, it's good for them. Like, they you know, they want to work on things that are more interesting. I don't. I think I'd have a hard time hiring software developers, if I said, hey, look, we got a great job. You're going to write plumbing code all day. They'd be like, fantastic. I don't want to work there. I, I hear you. So, but, you know, we do the scripting, Derek, and, and you, after a while it becomes old hat or whatever, and, and companies fall in ruts. 
right? And it, yeah, yeah. Why do they why do they fall in the rut? Um, good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know what? Let me let me get to that in one second because that's really important because this is symptomatic of just about every customer that we work with because there's a sort of traditional way this starts. But I do want to spend one more one more minute on some of these telltale signs. So we talked a little bit about not meeting delivery goals and we talked about you're spending a lot of money without a lot of results to show for it. There's a couple more and one that's really critical and is becoming more and more important. Um, it's particularly in our banking, healthcare and defense contracting customers is missing compliance requirements. When you're working manually and scripting and writing Jenkins jobs and, and, and using that approach to basically Know, move hundreds of applications from development to production, there's just not enough time in the day to cover all of the requirements of the business. And the things that get skipped and skipped immediately are compliance, security, and things that take time are difficult and just frankly, you know, get pushed to the side. So that is a big issue that we see. And, and a lot of our technology discussions with customers are around how do I get compliance back in my process? And I don't want to have speed be a, uh, you know, at the expense of speed. So we, we talk a lot about that with our organizations, uh, with the clients that we work with. And then in, in when you're doing things manually, there's no reporting, you know, in a scripted solution. So one of the biggest sort of requirements of compliance is, look, show me the report. I need a chain of custody report. I, I need to understand who did what and when to the software for my regulators. And none of that exists in a scripted environment. So, so that's a, that's a, a big, a big sort of red flag that, uh, that, that, that will, will highlight that you're, you're using a, a too man, too much of a manual approach. And then the third piece of that puzzle, the compliance piece, is there's no standardized approach being used across the organization. Every business unit, every developer even, is using a sort of a slightly varied approach. So the auditors in these organizations that are generally a centralized group are no longer accepting the process. So we have seen in a couple of our banking clients recently, the auditors basically stage a mutiny. They're like, guys, you're not bringing anything new to production until you sure up this process because this 80 different flavors in the organization is just not going to cut the mustard. So now there is renewed pressure on these organizations to, okay, great. Not only have I done everything manually and I've got this like hackerama to get my develop my applications from development to production. Now the auditors are weighing in and saying, I'm not even going to accept that anymore, guys. Now you need to sort of right size and, and standardize everything. And how do they do that manually? The answer is it's impossible. So that's another telltale sign. And then the last and, and one of the most obvious uh, and, and, and most common is your developers are unhappy. Like they want to build stuff. They, they're creative. They're super bright. And they want to sort of uh, work on things that are interesting and, and, and exciting and valuable. And they don't want to do plumbing and they don't want to maintain scripts. Like you can generally get developers to write things once. But then when you tell them like, hey, Larry, thanks for building that. You're going to own that for the rest of your life. So anytime a change needs to be made, they're coming to your desk to make the change. Well, Larry immediately is like, yeah, that's not cool. I don't like that idea. Excellent. So, so that's another that's another place to look. Mm -hmm. Let me let me get back to your your next question that I avoided for the moment. Why do companies fall into the scripting rut in the first place? Um, number one, I'll start with a statement. Every company we work with is in this rut because it's just the way everybody gets started. It's easy to just grab some open source developers and operational people working together. They they are ambitious. They're creative, and they basically build something 
that starts in small teams and maybe satisfies like one to three to five applications. And it works pretty well there. You know, you can sort of string all this together and that, and that works. The problem is once you get beyond like three to five applications, it just doesn't scale like more effort, more people, uh, and even more technology in some cases does not yield any different results. So, um, that is problematic because, because this generally starts from the bottom up, you know, developer centric, um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's traditionally how DevOps starts and how this whole sort of scripting phenomenon starts. The, the yeah. challenge is, you know, again, scalability becomes an issue. Nobody can manage it. There just isn't enough bodies and enough time in the day to just do this manually. Once you start looking at, you know, our clients, and I don't want to name any names, but, you know, we've got clients that have 3,000 applications, right? Even if it was 300, nobody can write and maintain that much code. It's just impossible. And even though the open source tools are improving and they're creating some, you know, reusable code snippets and things like that, you still have so much freedom to do things slightly differently from one application to the other, and then microservices being looped in, it, it really becomes impossible to manage. And the more and more you try to manage it, the more and more time you take away from developers doing productive things for your organization and have them working on this plumbing effort. So that that's generally uh, that's generally a uh, uh, the reason why why companies fall into this rut. And then the the next alternative after just manually scripting is, hey, let's buy a workflow tool and that'll solve all our problems. And then what companies quickly realize is, wait a minute, workflows are nothing but visual scripts. I still have to string together every piece of the process. And every time something changes, I need to go change a workflow. And this really didn't make any difference. So we use a model-based approach, which is kind of like GPS. I know where I am, I know where I wanna go, and it automatically creates you know this entire process of of writing the, the flow for you in a split second in an instant uh, so that you can spend all of your time as a software developer creating features and dropping your your code into git and then going back to creating more features hmm. excellent so how, how do you how do you climb out of that yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to turn this into, we've had this conversation before. This shouldn't be a ZB Labs commercial, but let, but what I do think you need is you need an enterprise, uh, you know, application release platform, right? We've got one, IBM's got one, other companies have them, right? And what that is designed to do is sit on top of a lot of the efforts you've already established, right? Nobody is advocating, including me and my company, to walk away from your investments in Jenkins and this and some of the scripting that you've done to, to build things because that is that's foolish. What we're what we're advocating is look, you need something to glue these processes together and help them to scale. So so what we what we generally do is we'll provide our platform. It integrates with all the sort of processes and tools you're already using. Nothing goes away. Let me say that again. Nothing goes away. All of those tools remain a part of the process. But what our technology platform, which is an ARA, application release automation platform, does is it integrates all these tools together and gives you a kind of a central place to manage them. You know, one single pane of glass to see everything from Jenkins to ServiceNow to Jira to Puppet to Chef to Git and just have a sense of how all those things are working together to get an application from development to production. 
it also gives you the visibility into your real world release process. So instead of having to manage a release in an Excel spreadsheet, it's visually illustrated. So you can quickly understand, hey, here's a here's a friction point. Here's a friction point. Here's where we can introduce some automation where there's right now a manual step and so forth. So that's a, a great advantage. And then it orchestrates all the work from the stakeholders across the business. The most important thing we find is that when you're moving an application from development to production, as, it's, as it starts, it's heavily used by developers. And then as it gets closer and closer to, develop, to production, more and more people that are not technical get involved in the process, business analysts, business owners, operations people, and so forth. So we, we introduce a platform where everybody can use it because there's a standardized approach and you don't have to be technical, but if you are, you can use it from a sort of source, from a, uh, a command line standpoint. But if you're not technical, everything that you can do in a command line, you can also do in our GUI. So that's that's a way to sort of integrate the different people across the business onto application release activities. And then we we create these release templates that that allow you to create pipelines that go across every tool, every environment, and every department in your organization. So the 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 way I describe that is use a standardized process, whether it's a mainframe application, a distributed application, your, your target is Docker, you're moving to AWS, whatever it is, it looks and feels the same. Everything underneath is abstracted from the user. So it's really reusable. And we see examples in our customers all the time where you take 300 applications that need to go to production and they will fit into one of three release templates that get established. So there's three paths to production instead of what was happening before, which was 300 different paths. And then lastly, a couple attributes, you know, collects all the compliance data as part of the release process. So you can check that box. You have the chain of custody. You understand exactly what changed, who changed it, why it changed, and all that's gathered and put into reports. And that means all the activity that happened in Jenkins and Git and, and Jira, ServiceNow, Puppet, Chef, you know, whatever technology was part of the process, we collect that data so that there's a chain of custody. You know, all the security scans that happened, all the automated testing that happened, everything that, that touched that application on its journey from development to production is collected and available for the auditors and regulators. And that happens automatically. Nobody has to be involved in that process. Um, and then lastly, uh, we provide reports that, that help you to understand what are your DevOps investments yielding for results? Because this has been the big missing question that a lot of CIOs talk to me about. They, they feel good about DevOps. They know they need to do it. They've seen um, examples of success in their organization. But what they're longing for is, Derek, give me a scorecard. Like, how do I understand, is my customer satisfaction up? Am I really going faster? Is my quality up? We can, with our process and our platform, answer all of those questions. You can scorecard and figure out what right now is difficult to figure out. It's just a feeling that, hey, DevOps is failing. If you are failing, our platform will help you to understand, yeah, you're failing in a couple areas. Here's the areas and here's action steps you can take instead of just blindly, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where are we going wrong without a without a roadmap to read. Excellent. Make sense? Yep. Hey Derek, we're 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 way over on this one, but just one final quick question and, and we'll recall it a wrap. Um, you know, it all sounds great, man, but I don't live in a green field. I've already invested in a whole bunch of tools. I got a brownfield situation. 
do I throw, do I got to throw that crap all out? Am I going to rip it up? Do you, can I, can I leverage my legacy? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is, there is never an example where we walk into a customer and say, walk away from what you're doing already. That's always the starting point. Jenkins doesn't go away. Puppet doesn't go away. Git doesn't go away. It becomes as much a part of the process as it ever was before. So we would never sell any software if, if we were a displacement technology. We're not. We're, we're, we're a complement to what you're doing today. And we give you that connective tissue, the scalability, visibility, reporting, and sort of all the things that are missing in a manual process. Um, so so that's, that's our approach. Um, and we work every day to just integrate with more and more technologies as we, as we gain more customers. We understand what they're, what they're invested in as far as their DevOps tooling. And we make sure we build bulletproof integrations to whatever they're using. And then those are available uh, free of charge to every customer. Fantastic. Hey, Derek, this was more than a mouthful, huh? We, we went over, I apologize. But it was great having you here and, and going over this and, and, I went over, you know, we covered a bunch of ground. Uh, I hope people enjoy it. Maybe they need to re-listen to it to really let it soak in. But thanks for joining us today and hope to have you soon on, uh, on another podcast. Good to talk with you, Alan. Thanks very much. All right, man. Hey, that was Derek Langone, CEO Zibia Labs, and he just gave you a ton of information, folks. Listen to it, re-listen to it, think on it, ruminate on it, and act on it. This is Alan Schimmel. You've just listened to a DevOps chat. We'll see you all real soon. Bye-bye, everyone.